Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. This is The Mismatch. I'm Chris Vernon. And joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Concert, a.k.a. Kevin O'Conflict, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bumble, a.k.a. Kevin O'Candyland, <laughs> a.k.a. Kevin O'Crisis, a.k.a. Kevin O'Climber. And I understand, as of last night, you have competition in the climbing business. Oh, I do, Chris. I mean, everything was leading up to last night. All the theatrics. I was worried we were going to be let down. But then Colton finally hopped that fence. And it did not let down. What does that down. even mean? I don't even understand. All season long, The Bachelor hyped up this moment where Colton hops a fence and just like <laughs> runs into nowhere. Like he rips off his microphone and all this stuff. And like it's like, they do this all the time. You're expecting to be let down. But boy, no. It did not let down. It was one of the greatest, oh, it was very dramatic. One of the greatest episodes in Bachelor history. That's for he sure. is the bat. Now this guy is the Bachelor. Yeah, Colton Underwood okay. is a former NFL player. Um, oh, he's a Bachelor. Yeah, and he's down oh, to the okay. final three. And he hopped that fence, man. It was better than my fence hopping moment. Let's just say that way more graceful as well. Though we did not see his landing. <laughs> it, this was not at Oracle Arena that this took place. No. Uh, okay. It was in Portugal, I believe. Oh, Portugal. Much wow. more scenic than Oracle Arena as well. Yes. Oh, wow. But boy, it did not let down. That's for damn sure. All right. Well, where did he go, by the way? I want to know. We don't know yet. We'll find out next oh, week, wow. next Monday. Okay. Uh, playoff mode was activated, Kevin. You may have heard. Oh, yeah. A couple of weeks ago. But sometimes things get activated that don't end up working out. And uh, it appears that playoff mode uh, has been deactivated, possibly. Uh, you have Kyle <laughs> Kuzma literally pushing LeBron into his defensive assignment that last something night. Else. You have Pat Beverly loving the booze raining down on the Lakers. He ends up with 13 points, nine rebounds, five steals, five assists. And Montrez Harrell, after the game, said Pat Bev walked into the locker room, and before he could even see the assignments on the board or anything, he said, I've got LeBron tonight. So, <laughs> and, and to his credit, he pestered him the entire night. As of last night, the Lakers are five and a half games back, wow. 18 games left. And last night, the questions turned to basically, hey, do you think they'll just shut you down for the rest of the year? And LeBron has to say, I'll talk to Luke about it, but I have no interest in sitting down. And well, obviously, should. we're up against it right now, but we're going to try to make a push and yada, yada, yada. Listen, they've lost nine of their last 12. They have lost to the Suns. We keep on saying this is a huge game for the Lakers, and then they lose it. And obviously, last night felt like possibly the last straw. Well, I mean, to tie this to The Bachelor, the Lakers' playoff hopes are Hannah G. Nowhere to be found, an afterthought, long gone. The playoffs are a nobody to the Los Angeles Lakers. Speaking my language, I don't even know who that is. Well, here's the thing, though, Chris. Because the playoffs are long gone, the Lakers should have only one priority— and that priority is Anthony Davis. But here's the problem, though. AD is like their Cassie, the one they want, oh, but they don't have. Sakes. But Colton's going to drop everything and everyone else to chase Cassie, just like the Lakers need to do everything they can to chase AD, Chris. And that means increasing their odds of landing a high draft pick. And how do you do that, Chris? How do you do that? You lose. It's time to play Mo Wagner for 35 minutes a game. It's time to let Lance Stevenson be who he thinks he was born ready to be. It's time for LeBron James to rest his aching groin. It's time to sign Carmelo. It's time to tank. There's nothing to gain, Chris, from making the playoffs. Nothing. They got to get higher draft odds to have a better chance at getting AD. And if they don't get the pick or they don't get AD, at least they can still have Tasha. Let's get to the real story of last night which is Isaac Lee, who loves his beloved Clippers with every ounce of his heart. And that was a massive game. There's nothing more than he loves than defeating the Los Angeles Lakers oh, and yes. taking the Los Angeles crown. The first question is, Isaac, do you still have an erection? <laughs> <laughs> Colton doesn't. Oh, That's for sure. Oh, man. Uh <laughs> 
<laughs> um, if, if you're asking me if I'm feeling good, like, yeah, I woke up this morning just all energized. I walked in here and I, I imitated Pat Beverly. I was like, hell yeah, hell yeah. yeah. Um, it's true. So I did, yeah, I'm he did, he did do that. It's true. Do you yeah. know that I read this morning? Now, this should be old hat for you, I suppose. I read this morning. Is this true? In the last 27 games that they have played, the Clippers are 23 and 4? Yeah. Because we play each other, what, four times a year. And for the last five, six, maybe seven years now, since the 13-14 season, the Clippers have been better. I know one's been good and one's been bad, but you're playing in that arena, which obviously should not be that big of a home court advantage for the Clippers, right? A lot of Lakers fans go to Lakers Clippers games. Yeah, but then it's not that big of a home court advantage for Lakers fans either because a lot of Clippers oh, it's fans not? go to... Yeah. See, I thought that would be different because I... Uh, Obviously, the Lakers sell a lot more tickets, right? That, that stands to reason. But also, it feels like it's a lot harder to get Lakers tickets, as we know. Yeah, because they're more right. expensive. But Clippers fans do still they go. Do, they do yeah. go to those games? Yeah. All right. Well, if we're, if we're counting the Lakers out of this, Kev. They're done. They're gone. Okay, well, now we it's got over. the— Tank, Chris. That's, the that's Kings do. are three back from the Spurs. So is it Kings or Spurs that get one of those spots? Or— They're three and a half back from the Clippers, four back from the Jazz. Obviously, once you get a little bit higher in the standings and look at those teams ahead, it gets much harder. So the Kings would be still be the one that would have the opportunity. As I said, they're three back from San Antonio. San Antonio got a good win last night against Denver that they really needed, considering the Kings. Yeah, yeah, because the Kings won their game behind a big uh, Buddy Heald performance. I mean, you're talking that's a two-game difference if the Spurs dropped that game last night to uh, Denver. And they were mangling them in the first quarter. And then it obviously goes down to the last shot. Uh, Kings still in it, you know, being three back. Do you think they can get there? They're four back in the win column. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, just to set the table here, the Kings have 19 games left. The Spurs have 17. So they have two games. If they win those two extra games, they'll be back only two games. So it's not as drastic of a difference as it might seem. However, both those teams have about equal schedules in terms of difficulty the rest of the way. But the Kings, over their last 10 games, that's when their schedule gets pretty tough over the last 10. So I, I would give the Spurs an edge here, obviously, because they already are up you know, in the standings. But I, I wouldn't rule out Sacramento, but I think their last group of games is, is really, really difficult. When you look at, they faced Houston twice, Utah Portland, there's a tough group of games over that those final 10 or so games for the Sacramento Kings to, to really get over the hump. All right, you're, And I suppose, especially after last night, Isaac, you're feeling good about your Clippers being able to hold on to a playoff spot? Absolutely. I, th- I feel like the team got better at the trade deadline uh, with the Which Tobias is crazy, trade. right? Shamit's like, been so good. Yeah, Shamit's been amazing. It's super crazy because they obviously got rid of their leading scorer and leading rebounder in Tobias Harris. And yet, you now have gotten Lou Williams. In 11 February games, Lou Williams averaged 25 points and six assists a game and shot 42% from three. Yeah. I mean, that is insanity. Well, what I think happened with the Tobias Harris trade was that Tobias Harris needed a lot of setting up from his teammates. A lot of plays were run to get Tobias good shots, to get efficient shots for Tobias. And he made them to his credit. But... Now that they don't have to expend their energy on trying to get him going, they can get other people going. They can get Lou going. Yeah. There's been a lot of plays where where Lou Williams just gets the ball on the top of the key and then they run like 15 picks for him so that he can get to the rim. And Shamit's been knocked down. I had no idea Shamit was that good of a shooter. I knew he was good. I just didn't know that he was going to drain everything that he touched his hand. There was a part of me that regrets this. Kevin, you'll love this. And I, I might have talked to you before I wrote the article last year about oh, yeah, my, yeah, my guys good. that wouldn't yeah. fail. And I had Shamit on the list. Yep. And I talked to people in college basketball. And I talked to some people that knew him very well. And they said, well, if you want this to stand the test of time, the only thing I'd worry about was he had like real injuries. Yeah. Like he had missed two, basically two full seasons. He should have been on one of the Van Vliet teams, like the Clay Anthony early and that whole team. And he had missed a season and then he missed basically a whole nother season. And so if you've already had those injuries in college, now it's worthy of concern for the next level. The kid is obviously a really good player. The concern is health. And so I bailed on it. 
And now in retrospect, you know, I watch him because I obviously listen, those Wichita teams were great. And you see Wichita, I don't know if you guys, how much you guys pay attention, but they're having their first losing season in forever this year. For what it's worth, with Shamit, he had surgery for a stress fracture um, in his left foot in 2015, and then uh, the same surgery on his right foot in 2017. So he's had two. That's scary uh, yeah, stuff. Yeah, it is. And you know, and I think whoever said that to you or the, the people that did say that to you are in the right. That was my concern with Shamit in the draft and why I had him ranked a little bit lower than um, I probably should have. I mean, I think one of the things that Tim Conley said to me when I interviewed him for the Nuggets story in regards to Michael Porter as he was quoting another executive who's, who said to him, well, with Michael Porter, there's an injury concern, but there's no basketball concern. And with Shamit, that same logic applies to him. It's like, yeah, for a, a late first-round pick, yeah, he, he might have injury concern. But you know what? Like, this dude can obviously play basketball. He can shoot the hell out of the ball. He can run off screens. He can spot up. And, like, the thing that makes him different, in my opinion, he's not just a spot-up guy. He can handle and play make a little bit, too, as a secondary ball-handling option. And with somebody like him... Getting him in the late first round like Philadelphia did and, and now the Clippers acquiring him, he's somebody that for a long, long time, as long as he stays healthy, there's going to be a role for him in the league. Yeah, they, you know, everybody's going to make it all about LeBron and last night and the Lakers' failures, et cetera, et cetera. But I did want to at least give a shout-out, not only because Isaac, you know, is a producer, but because I think the Clippers deserve an immense amount of credit. It, it felt like maybe they were punting on a season at the trade deadline. It's like we talked about all year with them. They just have a lot of good players up and down they their have a lot roster. Of good players. We didn't even oh, mention Montrezl Harrell, by the way. It's obviously, listen, since the trade, you have seen Lou Williams explode and Harrell explode. Harrell, I mean, like him at Louisville, he was a guy that is hard not to like him just with the energy he played with that we see every single moment he's on the floor today. But he's come so far with his skill development, like passing off the short roll and and reading the floor on both ends. I, I think Montrez Harrell, he has one year left on his contract, which is very team-friendly. Next summer in 2020, that guy, if I'm a team that wants a rim-running center that can do a little bit more on the floor, I'm paying that dude. Yep. And the switch over for the Lakers. Who do you think ends up paying for this? Let's say that it's let's Luke say Walton. it plays out. It's Luke and Walton. You think he's the Oh, no doubt. No doubt about it. He's the sacrificial lamb. Yeah, absolutely. It's like Mark Stein reported yesterday. The expectation is that he'll be fired at the end of the season. That's the expectation. Well, and you know that uh, I, I was reading Ramona Shelburne's article this morning about the Lakers and everything that happened and this idea that LeBron wanted these guys that are known for toughness, et cetera, et cetera, and that they did his bidding by going out and getting some of these guys on one-year contracts, et cetera, to build this team, but that the team ended up needing shooting. Um, and so then they go and try to get Reggie Bullock and they go try to get Mike Muscala. And that, oh, for that seven had, last night from Bullock. Yeah. And that that didn't take either. And I, I will tell you, I was watching uh, some games last night, uh, one of which was, and I know this is going to sound like a weird one to pay attention to, but I was watching Brooklyn versus Dallas. And the reason is with about 20 games left in the season or less, you try to figure out, or at least I, I am trying to figure out, okay, who's like punting on the season and you can just tell that it's just like, okay, let's get to the finish line here. And who's going to like play this thing out? So you see the Pelicans go and they win at Denver and then they win at <laughs> Utah. Two like crazy impressive wins. And then you see even the Wizards the other night put up almost 140 on the Timberwolves. And so I'm thinking to myself, like, are they playing this thing out? And so, anyways, the Grizzlies destroyed the Mavericks over the weekend by like 30. And I'm like, all right, was that just a one off or? is this just a team that's punted on the season? And I was like, well, I'll pay attention to Brooklyn to see what's what. And, I mean, they got slaughtered again by, like, almost 40 points last night. And, obviously, Carlisle's quotes <laughs> after the game were like, you know, they, listen, I know that they're not very good. I know they're starting Dirk. I also know when you lose by those kind of margins in the NBA, that's just not trying. The effort stinks. And it has. And so maybe they are one to watch that have just... You know, they've given up on the year. That's why I was paying attention to see what would happen in that. I know that Brooklyn needs every game like blood, but Dallas, who I had just seen lose by 30, I was like, all right, was that just a one-off? And it, it wasn't a one-off because they were even sure. worse last night. Oh, I mean, that gets back to the Lakers and Clippers, too. Patrick Beverly said after the game, we just want it more than they do. And, yeah. and, and it does seem like that watching these games, which 
It's like, you know, back to my bachelor analogy. Right now, the Lakers are at the point where they are too far removed from the playoffs to really have a chance. And if we're being real here, what is there to gain? What is there to gain from the Lakers getting the eight seed, getting a spanking from the Warriors in round one? Like, what, what is there to gain from that? I am of the opinion that when you get to the playoffs, that the, having those young guys in but you want to trade kind all those young guys. I you get it, but you might all. not get to, but you might not get to, Kev. You might not but get that's, to. But that's the goal. And like that's my point. Like what there is to gain is higher odds at getting a guy you're probably not going to get unless you do land a top 4 pick. Because in this year's draft, like Zion is clearly number 1. But after the top four or five guys, it pretty much plateaus. And I I talked to a lot of people this weekend at Sloan that pretty much feel the same way that, you know, maybe like from six to 20 or six to 30 or six to 15, there's not a big difference in talent. So for the Lakers to get another asset, to give themselves a chance at getting Anthony Davis in a trade, maybe it comes from the lottery. And right now, in their spot, they have the 13th best lottery odds. There's only a, only 4.8%, but if they lose just a couple more games, that can go to like 20% or 26% if they're able to get to like the ninth worst odds or the 10th worst odds. For the Lakers, there's just so much more to gain from just tanking out the rest of the season. It's not easy to do when you have LeBron James and Brandon Ingram's playing well and Kuzma's playing well as well too. But man, for the Lakers long term, it really might be in their best interest to just lose out the rest of the way, man. Uh, well, this is just obviously a difference of philosophy with you and I, but I would I would obviously try to play it out. I would try to go nine and one. I'd try to go ten and zero. Oh. It seems impossible, well, sure. but I'd still try to do it. Sure. I would still try to do it to end off the season. Um and that, would, I and do that would think be great. Being in a playoff race is good for your players. And if you made the playoffs, it's still good for them to get that playoff experience because you never know the way it's all going to play out. And I don't think that losing on purpose for a minuscule chance hey, at one player is worth it. You were the one last week who laughed at me when I when I was the one who was like, theoretically, if the Lakers are able to grab the seven seed and they upset in round one and then upset this in round two. No, this is a different... No, because you were talking about the Western Conference Finals, which is yeah. just stupid. They, yeah, yeah, but you no. just said you don't ever know what's going to happen. That's what I was saying last week. No, I'm saying with players. That's what I'm saying. I know what's going to happen with them in the playoffs. I don't know what's going to happen with their players yeah, but you don't. in the offseason. You can say, oh, they're just going to trade them all. But what if they don't? You'd still want them playing out the season. Oh. You'd still want them maybe getting playoff experience. What is four games against Golden State going to do? What are you going to gain from four games against Golden because State? Because every one of these young teams have taken their lumps in the playoffs <laughs> before they went ahead. Mm. It's never the first year. You don't make that run the first year. You take your lumps. Sometimes you do get swept. So what? And I'm with you that there, there's experience to be gained, but the point is that they want to trade these guys for Anthony Davis. That's the goal. That's the ultimate okay. goal. That's the dream this summer. That's their Cassie. They wanted to a month ago, and how'd that work out? Well, it didn't work last month, right. but it could work. So now it's going to work out this summer? It could, sure, absolutely. Have you seen Brandon Ingram the last 20 or so games? I have seen Brandon Ingram. Soon enough, there's going to be that conversation. Is Ingram actually a better asset than Jason Tatum? Because he very well might be. Ah, come on, let's slow down. Let's slow down. I know that everybody's down on everything Celtics right now. Tatum showed us in big playoff spots. He was the best player on the floor in some of those games. And I'm with you. Because Tatum, he has the premium skill and his go-to scoring ability. However, it's like we said at the time of the deadline, I don't think the gap is nearly as significant as some people are making it out to be. And so my my point is this, though. To increase your odds of landing that big fish, of landing Anthony Davis, it might require having a higher draft pick. That's all. All right, well, obviously you are putting some level of faith in the Lakers front office. And as I was watching that Brooklyn and Mavs game last night, I couldn't help but think to myself, wow, they had D'Angelo Russell once upon a time, uh, which was the Mozgov deal, right? And you think about... you think <laughs> and, about And Brooke Lopez on Milwaukee and Julius Randle hey, on once. <laughs> how about this? They, how about this? Do you go back just a couple years? D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle, Brooke Lopez, Thomas Bryant... Even earlier this year, Zubac, which I don't know <laughs> why they traded yeah. him. How about this one? The 16-17 team, which is we're just two years removed from. You know who they had? Lou friggin' Williams. Mm. <laughs> who they gave up for Corey Brewer and a first rounder. Couple of years from now, who knows? Maybe we'll be maybe we'll be also be saying they had Sfima Kyluk. <laughs> we knows? could be saying that. 
I mean, they traded Zubac for Mike Muscala, and he's obviously better than Mike Muscala. And then you have the Lou Williams deal. That was Houston for Corey Brewer and a first-round pick. That first-round pick turned out to be Tony Bradley, which then they flipped that for Thomas Bryant, who's no longer there, and Josh Hart. So you ended up basically with Lou Williams for Josh Hart. You think that's a good deal? <laughs> so you really don't think there's anything for the Lakers to gain from losing just a couple games, just, just falling down the standings, a couple spots to increase odds from like 5% to 20%. You don't think there, that there's no value in that? How are they getting to, how are they getting to 20%? Kevin? Because they're, that's the way the won, odds work. No, hold on now. They've won 30 games. Yes. They've won 30 <sighs> games, Kevin. Right now, there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, let's, 6, let's, 7. Let's pause hold for on, a second eight, here. 8, 9, 10. There are 10 teams in front of them, yes, Kevin. exactly. Let's pause for a second here, okay? Right now, the Lakers are one game back from New Orleans, who have a 20.3% chance at landing a top four pick with the ninth worst lottery odds because with the flattened odds, it's 14% up top which increases the chances in the middle of the lottery. So the point is, is that there's a drastic difference between that nine spot and that 13 spot where the Lakers are now, but there's not a big difference in the game separating those teams. It is very close in the standings there for like, however that's going to shake out. Like that's why Dallas looking like (laughs) playing Dirk 45 (laughs) minutes per game is not the worst idea because they also, if they win a couple here and there, their odds could drop from 26% to 10% easily because they're only two games ahead of Minnesota and Charlotte right now. So there's value for the Lakers, value for Dallas, value for New Orleans, and losing a couple more games here and there because of the drastic difference in the odds between that 12, 13, 14 range and the 8, 9, 10, 11 range. Wait, I'm looking right now, and it says that if you got the ninth worst, you got a 4.5% no, I'm talking, chance. I'm talking about the top four, not number one, for top four. So it's 20.3% for top four. Yes, you're right. It's only 4.5% for number one overall but it's 20.3% for top four because now the top four picks are being drawn in the lottery instead of the top three. So theoretically, like the Miami Heat, like they have a 9.9% chance right now. They could theoretically land the, the fourth pick in the lottery. Right. That's why. It's, it's because of the changing lottery odds. Not, it's not necessarily for a chance at Zion. It's a chance for John Morant or RJ Barrett or somebody else who they may value highly. That's where I'm coming from. Getting that additional asset to use an AD trade or trade for somebody else. I just think the increased odds of that are more valuable than making a push for the playoffs and probably missing anyway. Like they're just they're just not going to make the playoffs. There's not enough games left. They're just not. <laughs> Their schedule is pretty tough too in comparison to the Kings and and the Spurs. These teams ahead of them in the standings. I just don't see a path to the Lakers. They blew it. And I think it's a failure that they didn't make the playoffs, but with this failure could come a reward if they are locking out on lottery night and do end up laying a top four pick. That could be their ticket to ultimately having more assets to put in a trade than the Celtics do for Anthony Davis or having enough assets that I think maybe Anthony Davis can, or in clutch, can try to go all in pushing him to the Lakers, which may diminish the odds that the Celtics are willing to put Tatum and everything else on the table. I just think I'd, I'd feel a little bit differently if I thought that those teams ahead of them, if those teams ahead of them were so locked in and they were playing so great. Now, again, I, I'm with you. They've got a minuscule, minuscule, minuscule chance. I get it. But those teams are losing records in their last 10 games, both the Kings and the Spurs. And that's the Spurs after winning three in a row. I mean, they just went like one and six or something. (laughs) They were one and six in the seven games before that. One and six Mm. in the seven games before that. So that would be my cause for pause and just say, hey, you know what? I'd still play it out just in case. Because I don't think I don't think the Lakers problem is assets. They've got assets, man. Yeah, they do. Like, they in do. terms of being able to do stuff. You know, I think part of it for me is this, though. It's like they have assets, and, you know, on trade deadline, the conversation was about how New Orleans wanted four first-round draft picks, right? And if, let's say this summer, the Lakers end up getting the eighth seed, and they end up giving three first or whatever it takes to get AD, and they do get AD. If you're giving up all those future assets, that is crippling your flexibility moving forward. And so I think even like if you're able to give up like the eighth pick this year, maybe it means you're not giving up those future picks down the line because retaining those assets 
allows you to be more flexible in the moves you make down the line. It allows you to trade those picks for other players to help you build a championship team. There's just a domino effect from having a greater asset this year, whether it's like the ninth pick or whether it's landing like the second pick in the draft. It allows you to keep other stuff to have a stronger overall team. So that's really where I'm coming from here. It's it's about building the strongest possible team. And I, I just think there's more potential reward in higher odds at a higher pick than there is at making a push for the playoffs and probably definitely, I would say not probably missing the playoffs, definitely missing the playoffs. They're just not going to make it. Okay, so now let's talk about real odds. At what day, it is Tuesday, March 5th right now. What day does the story come out that LeBron James is very hurt and that he was playing through it to try to make the playoffs, but he's actually really hurt. And that's why you saw Kyle Kuzma pushing him to play defense and whatever, right? I mean, this is the guy that wore the cast after they lost last year with the broken hand that I guess healed just fine. No one, no one ever really talked about the broken (laughs) hand ever again. So now I'm aware that he had the hamstring injury. When do we get the story that he shouldn't have been playing on it anyway? And the reason the Lakers suck this year is because LeBron's hurt. How about this? Monday morning, next Monday, because they face Denver on Wednesday and Boston on Saturday. If they drop both those games, oh boy. I say under. I'll say by the weekend then. Okay. All right. You've so got after Monday, the Denver I've got game by the before weekend. the Boston game on yes. Saturday. So Saturday's ABC game, Celtics versus Lakers. LeBron's not playing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sure the NBA wouldn't be happy yeah. about that. You know what's interesting to me, though, Chris, is if I'm a LeBron... When do I start questioning like everything I just said about, you know, the logic of having a higher pick and allowing you to retain assets? When does LeBron start questioning if his front office has the foresight to build that winning team? Um, I think he did a month ago. <laughs> when does he start? I think he did a month ago. Oh, you'll get that one too. Yeah. We'll get that story too, That's right? True. LeBron's <laughs> LeBron's really iffy on yeah. what's going on. I mean, I questioning you know. Magic Johnson, questioning Polenka, questioning Luke Walton. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Someday when LeBron's an older, there's going to be a star player saying this about him, <laughs> questioning LeBron's ability to build a team. <laughs> yeah, Kev, for that game on Saturday between the Lakers and the Celtics that you were talking about, LeBron's going to show up with a leg cast and a glass of wine. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> After the game, though, uh, he'll still be posting his his happy love and life Instagram stories, though. I think that's probably so. Also, a couple things that happened last night, Kev. Uh, Dwayne Wade became the all-time blocks leader for guards past Michael Jordan, 877. It was B.J. Johnson that he blocked from Atlanta, which is the 449th player that he has blocked. And there are two guys he has blocked more than anyone else. 12 times each, they were blocked by Dwayne Wade. You want to take a stab at it? I have no clue. (laughs) Fire away, Chris. Joe Johnson and Ben Gordon. Ben, wow. I never never, (laughs) would have guessed either of them. (laughs) Each got blocked 12 times each by uh, Dwayne Wade throughout his NBA career. Ben Gordon. Also, a story came out yesterday about the uh, Golden State Warriors and possibly bringing in Andrew Bogut. Quick thought on that. Well, I mean, nice big man depth, at least. Uh, With Boogie, it's been very, very up and down for him, as you would expect. And with Bogut, you know, uh, more more depth at center. I think it beats some of the other options. All right. You know he set screens. You know that. He can set some really, really nice screens. That's for damn sure. Yes. He is uh, the best illegal screener there is. The greatest illegal screener of all time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Though though I think Uh, someone like Kevin Garnett would have an argument for that, too. There's a lot of great illegal screeners, to be fair. Yeah. Cousins is up there. Cousins is a good one. Yeah. Cousins is up there. They got some good ones. By the way, speaking of, of records of passing Michael Jordan, LeBron James is only 12 points back from MJ and all-time regular season points. And so Wednesday night, he'll likely pass Michael Jordan uh, when the Lakers face the Denver Nuggets. Oh, so now we know why he's not going to rest yet. Yeah, get one more game, and then <laughs> and then time to rest. <laughs> okay, and we can really celebrate yes. him after that. That would be so... <laughs> do not, be so, don't take so, LeBron James for granted, Chris. <laughs> well, you need, you need to just drive over there to the Staples Center and tell Magic and Palenka that. Mm, right that's they just pissed away one of his last prime years i know i know it's a failure to miss the playoffs it really is it's not the east man it is not the east 
Uh, all right, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to talk about Kevin's article with what's really the matter with the Celtics. I've got to ask him some questions on that. Also, his experience at the Sloan Conference after these words. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Microsoft Surface. The new Microsoft Surface Pro 6 can help you get things done, whether you're on the field or running a business. Take Brian Arakpo and Michael Griffin, two former NFL teammates who have opened up a cupcake shop. With the Surface Pro, they can do everything they need from setting schedules to creating promotions for social media and designing new flavors. Plus, it's light, super fast, and has a great battery life. Brian and Michael are proving you can tackle all your passions with the power and speed of the Surface Pro 6. Today's mismatch is also brought to you by Hotel Tonight. This winter is a great time to check out Hotel Tonight. Whether you want to take a spontaneous ski trip or escape to a warm beach, Hotel Tonight makes it easy to book a room with one of their last-minute deals. There are tons of empty hotel rooms out there just waiting to be booked. That's how Hotel Tonight scores such incredible rates. They team up with awesome hotels to help them sell those rooms and pass the savings on to you. And these aren't last-resort-type places. Hotel Tonight works with cool, top-rated hotels you actually want to stay at. Unlike other travel companies, you don't have to scroll through endless lists of hotels. Hotel Tonight shows you the best deal at great hotels, along with short profiles that have pictures and all the info you need. Even though their name is Hotel Tonight, they're not just for last-minute bookings. You can play things by ear or use Hotel Tonight to book in advance. And when you join Hotel Tonight's HT Perks program, the more you book, the better the deals get. To start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now. Okay, Kevin, I read your article about what's really the matter with the Celtics. And you talked about a lot of different things that have gone on, but not the least of which that people have talked about is like the personality clashes, as it were, the inability to find the roles on the team, et cetera, et cetera. But the, everybody is focusing on Kyrie Irving. And some of the stuff that you wrote about that was the most fascinating because it makes me think about when you're the man, you get all of the heat. And that it's probably a very different experience, especially in Boston, which is not an easy town and everything you do is dissected and that that could have had an effect on him that post the whole Knicks question coming up and then his reaction to that since that moment, there has been a, I guess, a new level of despondence that has been shown by Kyrie and and that has led in some ways, probably to the Morris saying this isn't fun and nobody talking in the locker room, et cetera. Yeah. Um, people that I talked to did say it was around that time when Kyrie's personality did seem to change. That doesn't necessarily have to do with the questions about him going to the Knicks or the possibility of teaming up with KD, but I think it was the escalated media coverage um, that seemed to really tick him off. The other thing that was very fascinating to me reading that was somebody told you that they think his only friend on the team, like friend is Tatum. I would say more that he's closest with Tatum. Like that is the deepest friendship. Um, whereas with others, I, put it this way. I think with, with the Celtics roster, somebody said this recently, I forget who said it, but it's like a group of individuals rather than a team. Yeah, not everybody has to hang out and not everybody has no. to go out with each other after games and not everybody has to be best buddies. No. They don't have to. You don't have to be friends. You have to be friendly. You yes, know what I mean? Exactly. With each other. You have to at least not resent each other. Though in past years of this team, I think you would see guys like on the road and hotel lobbies together. But this year, that's not the case with like the star players. I think the bench players have some chemistry. You can like you can even see this during games. It's like Gershon Yabusele goes nuts. Like some of these bench guys are good cheerleaders off the bench, but it's the the chemistry with like the top eight guys on the roster um, that is not so good. Sometimes I do think you have to kind of force that too. And that may be something that, you know, Brad Stevens Forcing or chemistry or, or yeah, no, no, no. I'm talking about togetherness as a team, yeah. right? The idea that, cause you hear can all you these stories. I do think you can greatly encourage the Spurs. They have all manner of team dinners. 
when they go out on the road together yeah, and team events true. that they do together. Those old Heat teams with Spolstra and obviously it's a Riley trick, right? You get them together and you get these guys around each other and and they ain't sitting there just looking at their phones, yeah. right? Like, like you just you, work team through building yeah, things. Yeah, yes. I yeah. mean, I even think now in this day and age, it is even more valuable than ever to do that. Then just have a guy just be consumed in himself in the locker room on headphones on his phone. And then right after the game on his phone and going back to the, you know, we're all, we're all subject to this. Yeah. Right. Um, no matter what you do in your life, no matter what your career is. Yeah. You know, I was listening to Bill and Rosillo's podcast and I, I heard this, there was the clip that was put up of Adam Silver at Sloan talking to Bill about, you know, one of the challenges going forward. And he was talking about the, you know, guys being unhappy and a level of isolation and in this age of social media and whatever else. And that he said they are genuinely unhappy. And one of the things he said in that, I believe he quoted Isaiah Thomas. He was talking about championships are won on the bus, right? The idea that these bonds that form between these teams. And I do think we focus on the failures of some teams, like the Lakers or the Celtics or, you know, not living up to expectations or maybe even some other teams or individuals that aren't particularly happy. But there are teams that are happy. I just told you, I watched that Nets team last night. They're all celebrating. The 15th guy is celebrating. I watched the Trailblazers. They're happy. You know what I mean? Like, you, there's a bunch the of Kings teams. The Kings roster seems happy despite like, yeah. some of the Jaeger stuff. That, that I mean, there's also a bunch of teams that are happy. You know what I mean? There, there are a bunch of teams that really get along and have a good mix of guys that all seem to really like each other. And we focus on the ones that don't, right? And... People talk about this day and age and they talk about, you know, social media and they talk about the loneliness that people feel and the unhappiness that people feel and that the reaction time is different than it used to be. You know, you hear people crapping on you on social media or writing articles about you, whatever, and everything is, you're aware of everything now, right? And I do think that's certainly part of it and that it's sometimes even hard to hang out with people that are just, you know, immersed in their phone if you go to a bar with them or whatever. And so personal interaction has taken a hit. That being said, it's been my experience over the many years that I've been in NBA locker rooms that some of it is just a young and old thing and it's generation gaps. And there's always going to be different distractions, but the league does get younger and you've got a lot of guys that are the best players that are one and done players and they come in. And the other thing is, and I know this is going to sound crazy and some people might think it's insane. A lot of times with the guys that you feel like uh, that are unhappy, et cetera. And I don't want to just make a blanket statement. That's why I'm saying a lot of times what you will find is it is more troubling right now to be involved in this day and age and the social media and taking over everything if you are not like in a relationship or have a family. And I say this from my own personal experience. When I was very young, I was in radio and this was in the age of message boards and I was getting absolutely killed. I mean, I was young. I was just starting out Mm. and I was getting absolutely killed and it drove me insane, like literally insane. I just couldn't take it. And I had at one point a girlfriend that at the time, was like, why do you worry about this at all? Who cares about any of this, right? And it was almost like I was so embarrassed that she knew that I cared (laughs) so deeply what these people were saying about me that it did change my outlook. And then as the years went on, you know, you start, some things matter more than others. But I'm telling you, if you're not, like, this is the greatest endorsement of women in a relationship ever. Some guys, it's the best thing that can happen when you are, when everything revolves around you, right? And I see so many times we talk about these guys are unhappy and these guys are this and these guys, whatever. And I'm like, I wonder if they're married. I wonder if they got girlfriends. I wonder if they got, because a lot of times these guys are surrounded by other guys that are all yes men, all yes men, all the time. And that's who's with them all the time. And there's something to be said about having the lady in your life that wakes you up and says, get over yourself and stop having such a damn ego, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? That is needed from the outside. And there's always been a difference I've been able to tell from guys that are in relationships or have families, et cetera, and the guys that don't because the things that matter to you change dramatically because there is no reason to not be just totally immersed in yourself all the time. 
And maybe that will sound crazy to some people, but it has been my experience that that is true. And I have seen guys change dramatically once they ended up in relationships. I'm not saying everybody needs to have a relationship or everybody needs to get married or everybody needs to, whatever. (laughs) I'm just telling you that it does, that guys that are, are seemingly much less apt to feel this level of unhappiness and care so deep. That's the biggest thing. You care much less deeply what strangers think about you when the people that you are closest with love you no matter what. Sure. I mean, I think your point also about upbringing is interesting as well because a lot of players, you know, whether it's in the NBA, if you make the NBA, the odds are in your town you were you were special. Like you were the player in like middle school and then in high school that everybody said, you're going to be something someday. Like you're special. Right. Um, so your whole life, like you're told you're going to, you're destined for greatness. And then once you actually make the league where everybody else was also told they were destined for greatness, you're getting, you're getting for the first time, maybe in your life criticism from the outside and reading messages about how you're actually not worth anything, how you blew it, how you're the, you're the reason why someone's day is ruined, why, why the reason why a team lost instead of being the reason for hope instead of it's, it's just a drastic change. Well, and I, and like I said, I experienced it in my own life when I was young, it hurt man. And it bothered me because the only thing, that's the only thing I had. It's the only thing I had going was my career was the only thing that mattered to me. And so I care so deeply. And I know this is going to pain some jerks that are behind the keyboard that think they really hurt people's feelings. But at this point now, like, dude, I got so many. Do you know how far down the list, you know, mean things people say about me is? I mean, I'm worried about what my wife's got going on. I'm worried about (laughs) my son who worships me. I'm worried about my daughter and what I'm worried where I got to go, like what we have after school and if I've got to go pick them Mm -hmm. up or if I've got to take them to a practice or whatever. And there's so many other things to worry about. But when the only thing to worry about is yourself, that stuff cuts you way deep. For sure. It just does Mm -hmm. because you you lose perspective because it's the only thing that does matter. It's what you got going on. No doubt. And I mean, I think for so me... So all these guys just need to get girlfriends if they're so unhappy. <laughs> I mean, I, I, would, I would love to, you know... I think for me, like with my background, I grew up on the internet, right? Like I've been on forums playing, I've played yep. Xbox Live. I've, I've had, you know, I've, I've talked trash. I've had people talk trash to me my whole life. I've, I mean, like, never mind trash talk. Like I've been like, you know, made fun of my whole life on the internet. So it's like... For me, I think I developed some thick skin or like an immunity or or maybe it's not even that. It's just like I just don't care because I know for me personally, it doesn't mean anything. I kind of just chuckle at it more than anything else like when there's like negative comments now. And usually I just mute negativity because I just try to get the negativity out of the feed more than anything else. But, uh, you know, I say that, but it still touches on a a much greater issue, though, um, in terms of mental health that Adam Silver was ultimately alluding to for a lot of these guys that if they are bothered by it, it's critical that they are talking to the people that they need to help them through it, whether it is, you know, a wife or girlfriend, like you're mentioning, or whether it's a family member or whether it's actually like a therapist. I hope the people that are bothered by whatever criticism they receive, or even if it's not criticism, it could be stress from being on the road and all the traveling well, and, and we, everything and, else. And we I, know this, Kev. Listen, we know this with one of the great players in the world. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Durant had burner accounts where he was responding to just random people. You know what I'm saying? When Adam Silver's talking about it, this isn't like a fringe thing. This was like probably the second best player in the world that yeah. felt the need to respond to people because it bothered him. Like, that's the reason you do it. It bothers you. You know what I mean? You feel the need to go out and like say, you know, defend yourself. Defend yourself. Right? And so I do think that it's real. What's happened? I'm glad that uh, that was a piggyback off of Sloan, which we mentioned, which you were at. So I want to hear about the rest of your experience. And I understand that Mr. Kirk Goldsberry made an impact on you. By the way, <laughs> shout out to Kirk Goldsberry. Shout I Kirk. pre-ordered his book. He has a new book coming out on Amazon, uh, and I've already pre-ordered it. I, I had I'm excited it pre- about. I it. had it pre-ordered it because I'm lazy, but um, I will be pre-ordering it uh, following. His discussion on, I believe it was Friday. Kirk had a at a discussion called Beauty Ball. In summary, Beauty Ball for Kirk was just about using analytics to create a beautiful game for fans. And his point was, you know, right now we have a game that 
is aesthetically pleasing. It's a great game with spacing and, you know, and high scoring, but like there's still an element of defense and like the game is growing and it's better than ever. But at the rate three pointers are increasing, at the rates pace is increasing. His point is like, where does it go from here? Like, where is it in five years? Right now, I believe the league. Shot attempts are around 35%. 35% of shots are three-pointers. And that is just, obviously, as everybody knows, increased dramatically from what it was just a couple years ago and obviously from what it was a couple years before that with this three-point shooting revolution. Well, what happens when when like there's a team that's, or multiple teams that are taking 60% of their shots from threes and the league averages at like 44%, something like that? Is the game as beautiful? when the post is even more value than it is today? Is it as beautiful when there's even less emphasis on the mid-range game than there is today? And I don't have the answer to those questions, and, and Kirk was saying he doesn't either. However, it's something that we should at least be thinking about and being proactive about solving, because if it does get to that point, I personally do think that, for me, I can only speak for myself, but I don't think I'd want to watch basketball where every game on average has like 45% or half the shots being three-pointers. I like where it is around right now. I think I could handle a little bit more with some teams that are outliers like the Houston Rockets. That's what I, I like that the fact that they're an outlier, but I don't want everybody to be playing uh, for shots that way. So Kirk's point was, is how do you account for that? And there's a couple of ways. You can obviously change the three-point line. You can extend the line. You can remove the corner three. You can do that by changing the line every year or by setting it at some certain point. Or you could change the key as well. Uh, he made the point how the original paint was originally actually shaped in a key until it was changed uh, for the Wilt Chamberlain rules. So if you change the paint from whatever, whatever it is now, I think 16 feet to 8 or 9 feet what it was before— that would allow post players to post up closer to the basket, therefore increasing the efficiency of post-ups, therefore devaluing three-pointers for certain uh, larger players, or even smaller players for that matter, using the post as a source of scoring. I, I guess Kirk's point is devaluing the three-pointer by extending the line in some form would increase the value of the mid-range again. Or rather, not increase the value of mid-range. That would stay constant. It would just devalue the three-pointer to get it closer to where the mid-range shot is. Because right now, statistically, there's just no reason to take mid-rangers early in the clock. You just don't. It's layups or threes. If you're not taking mid-range early in the clock, your chances are you're making a mistake. So I think Kirk's underlying point is just... Do you think it would just cut down dramatically on the amount of guys that could shoot 35% or more? From three? That's the idea? Well, yeah. I mean, Kirk's underlying point was just about getting ahead of this. So like right now, with the way the league is growing, it's not going to stop. It's like the three-point rate is not going to plateau anytime soon. It is just increasing exponentially. So how do you get ahead of that? I think there's a lot of logic to changing the three-point line or maybe changing the paint to increase the value of post-ups because you're allowing players to post up closer to the basket or you just extend the three-point line, remove the corner three in some form in order to just create a balanced game. Like It's a complicated discussion, but the point is, is that there is risk in allowing this rate of three-point shots to continue rising. Um, say to the it, po- Kevin. Say it. Say it. Say the Rockets ruined basketball. Say it. <laughs> <laughs> say it, Kevin. No, you say know, I, say I the just... Rockets ruined basketball. Say James Harden ruined basketball. Say it. See, here's the thing. I don't I don't believe that. I just don't. But here's the thing. Like, I love watching Houston. I love watching James Harden. We've argued about that back and forth. Uh, I think for James Harden, he's an innovative player. And I think Houston is an innovative team within the context of the game and the rules and how it's played today. And they could continue to play that way even if the three-point line were changed. Look at these guys that used to be buddy. What they do is they exploit the system some way, somehow. And what's wrong Sa- with no, that? No, so Sam Hinkie, they had to change the lottery odds because of him. And now his old buddy, Daryl yes. Bore, they're going to have to change basketball yes. completely. <laughs> exactly. And, and, so, and, and that was ultimately the point. Like the rules are what right. determine how the game is played. Like whether it's removing hand checking, changing the, adding the three point line, you know, changing the distance of the three point line, that's what changes the game. I don't think it's that big of a problem yet. Not yet, but that was the point. Like, when does it become a problem? No, you're right. Do you need you're to get right. ahead of that or do you wait until it becomes a problem? Maybe ratings are down and, and press about the game is really negative. Like, that's the fear. Hey, you mean like how they'll probably change, you know, throwaway conferences? 
and the best teams make the playoffs because LeBron didn't make it? Is that what we're going to do? <laughs> I'm in favor of no conferences. It, well, listen, so if worse. it was ever going to happen, it's going to be because they don't get LeBron James in the playoffs. <laughs> I am in favor. Like, there's another thing like Adam Silver discussing, like the idea of like changing the length of the regular season and adding midseason tournaments. Um, that's another thing I'm very much in favor of as well. Look, the game, the game right now, it's like, uh, I believe Mike Zarin said this on stage during one of the discussions. He's like, the goose is golden right now. The game is doing extremely well and it's continuing to grow around the world. That doesn't mean that you can't make it better just because you're continuing to rise and ascend. You need to just try to escalate that more with making smart tweaks. So whether it's right. three point line or whether it's schedule changes, I think there's ways to continue improving the game to assure that it continues growing globally um, and doesn't plateau at any point. Mike Zarin, who is in the Celtics front office, and that will lead us to our NBA watch of the night. The Boston Celtics at the Golden State Warriors. It's on TNT, 1030 Eastern. Uh, since this weekend, there have been a tremendous amount of conversation and including your own article on The Ringer about what ails the Boston Celtics. I think everybody thought with their load of wings that they have, they would be a team that could make life problematic for the Golden State Warriors. And wouldn't this just be so Celtics-like for them to go win at Golden State tonight and get everybody to say, hey, you know what? Like, if they can get it together and, you know, make a run here towards the playoffs and uh, they get to the finals, they are a team that could really give the Warriors problems because we just saw it. I don't know. I mean, that just feels like something that could happen for sure. Especially, it's usually when everything, when the narrative goes drastically one way, which right now it's like, What's wrong with the Celtics? Celtics don't like each other. Celtics stink. <laughs> Celtics are failing, right? That they'll go beat the Warriors tonight. Like, I wouldn't bet against that, seriously. Just because that's the way it goes in sports, right? We have to go back the next day and correct everything that we've, you know, these grand statements we've made. In sports, and especially for the Celtics season, it's been a roller coaster up and down. Every time you think they're about to just plummet, they they win a couple games in a row. Every time you think they fix themselves, they just start losing and dropping games. And I think that's why they just lack the foundation with the chemistry to have that sustained, consistent success. For right now, uh, for Boston, tonight's game against Golden State kicks off a really difficult four-game road trip uh, against Golden State, Sacramento, the Lakers, and then the Clippers from Tuesday and through next Monday. It's a tough stretch. The problem is they don't hit their apex nearly enough, but their apex is still it is. right there. It's very, very... like If they play their best game... It's still better than virtually everybody's. Yeah. Seriously. And that's why, like, you know, Kyrie, I mentioned this in the article. Um, Kyrie has said multiple times this season, it's like after game 70 is what matters leading into the playoffs. So for this team, we're at the point now, yep. it's time for Kyrie and, and the team to show that, yes, like it is time to get into playoff mode because the upside is still significant. Well, and that's how we know, Kevin, like they, they've been a, by, by all accounts, a disappointment. And yet, in your article, you're reading it's like a top five defense, top ten yeah, offense. You know, you know, I get it. Yeah, that part is a, a little bit misleading, though. Like they they say have the number three net rating in the league, but they also have like the the tenth best net rating against teams that have won over fifty five percent of their their games. I'm so just like, saying you still have to have enough good performances to have for those sure. numbers. No doubt. Like, the, yeah, exactly. The Celtics are still a really good team despite everything, which is why it's hard to just you can't just give up on them entirely. Um, there's still a chance that they fix themselves here um, yeah. before the playoffs. Um, but it all starts tonight against Golden State. We'll be watching that. Remember, if you want to watch every NBA game, subscribe to NBA League Pass on NBA.com or from your preferred video provider. Kevin, it's always a favorite part of my week. I will talk to you next week. Me too, Chris. This was fun today. By the way, thank you for everybody you know who likes the ringer at Sloan. Everybody who said hi to me and Jason Concepcion and Jason Gallagher and Moe's. Really appreciated the support. And uh, people really like the show, Chris. They like the mismatch. Uh, so I thank love you everybody. to hear that. Yeah. That uh, yeah. we're big at Sloan. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> we should do a. We'll have to try to do like a live show there next year. That'd be cool. That'd be I fun. So we should. Uh, if you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars. Five stars. It really helps. And we will talk to you next week. Hey.